Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Be Bullish podcast. I'm Alex Ely, CIO of the U.S. Growth Equity Team, here to talk about the news that matters and the news that doesn't. Um, today, uh, the news that has us the most excited is that COVID, or the pandemic, is getting better and better. Um, we're seeing deaths decline, hospitalizations decline, we're seeing cases decline, and we're seeing new solutions that are coming out there. Merck uh, got approved for a drug that can help with the symptoms of COVID. So that's another option that people have to try and not get seriously ill um, from this virus. Uh, boosters have been approved uh, for certain types of people. Uh, first, uh, Pfizer's uh, vaccine has already been approved for this, but we should see Moderna's vaccine approved for this sometime soon as well. And then finally, it looks like we're gonna get approval for kids between the age of five and 12 to get vaccinations uh, before the end of the month. So uh, this is good news in, in terms of us marching towards herd immunity where the pandemic becomes less of an issue. Now, we don't know if, if COVID will go on and on. We don't know whether um, you know, we'll, we'll see another bump up or another increase in cases in the, in the winter or whether this will be a yearly thing where you have to get a booster shot every year, similar to a flu shot. But as a society, we're certainly getting a, our grip on COVID and how much it's hurting us in terms of deaths and cases and so forth. And that's an optimistic thing. That means that a more normal world in 2022, I don't know that it'll go back to perfectly normal, but a more normal world. And it makes us think, what does a post-pandemic world look like? And, and what does it particularly mean for growth sectors? As we're growth investors, we wanna figure out what areas are going to continue to benefit or benefit exponentially as a result of the pandemic ending. The first thing is that hybrid working is here to stay. From what we can get, about 30% of people aren't even gonna go back to work. And then another third or so are gonna do some form of hybrid working. I know I am. So whether it's working two days, three days a week in the office, um, that means that we're not commuting as long, that means we need certain capabilities that for us at home, and it changes a, a couple different sectors. First off, in respect to technology, this can be really good for software as a service. And you can see it in your email box every week. Um, there's labor lights, software as a service, um, emails that are going out to you about HR, about your pension or 401k, about training or compliance, about telco capabilities or alerts. Lots of different things are being enabled by software. And in fact, software is enabling that new remote worker to be fully connected and to work seamlessly um, with their wherever their headquarters are. So those companies involved in software should continue to benefit as hybrid working is here to stay. The other part of hybrid, hybrid working is that you commute less. You, you have less time on the road and you have more time at home. So for the consumer, Two areas of strength that we see are nesting, uh, whether it be people buying new houses, buying second houses, or improving their houses uh, significantly in a variety of ways, or just more playtime or outdoor activities at home. We've seen terrific strength in areas like camping, fishing, hiking, boating. I mean, really, people are out there having more fun than they used to. And as a result, those companies that are levered to those trends uh, can benefit as well. The other part of, of us getting back to our more normal world is we should see the healthcare system normalize. We should see the hospital system normalize to some degree as they aren't overwhelmed with COVID cases like they have been in 2020 
and 2021. For us, that means we're, we've been quite interested in companies that are levered towards procedures. Procedure growth has been around 2% on average for the last 40 years. But last year in 2020, it was down 10 to 15%, um, partially because people didn't want to go where all the sick people were. But also many hospitals uh, reduced or canceled elective procedures altogether, keeping people that didn't have uh, imminent healthcare needs away so that they could tend to the people that had COVID and tend to the pandemic. Um, that will begin to change next year. We're already seeing hospital capacity uh, become more available. And those people that have been putting off procedures like getting your hip done or your knee done or, or, or work done on your foot or something like that, stuff that can't be put off forever should come back. Um, we saw it a little bit this year in the spring. Uh, then it fell off again with the Delta variant. So far in this earnings quarter, we've heard some optimistic reports that things are starting to solidify when it comes to procedures again. So within healthcare, that looks like an area that can benefit from the end of the pandemic as well. Okay, in other news and things that we get asked about a lot, we get asked a lot about inflation and what that means for interest rates uh, down the line. Um, certainly there's some inflation in our system. We've particularly seen it in areas like uh, labor, particularly for, for uh, services labor, uh, whether that be in restaurants or hotels or things like that. There's a lot of different industries that just can't hire enough people. And that's made uh, really the low end uh, of salaries increase, which, which I actually think is a good thing. We have seen increases in the cost of different materials and in energy and in inputs to those different things. Um, some of that will get cleared up over time. Some of it is just due to the supply chain issues, which we have, and will be with us for another year or so. But eventually, that demand will get met, the supply chain will be worked out, and we'll start to see some of those inflation pressure, pressures ease. That's what the Fed thinks. They think it's transitory uh, in some of those areas. And I would agree to some, to some degree, uh, but not completely. I do think some of these uh, inflation patterns are here to stay in certain industries. That said, for the economy as a whole, we don't see inflation. And the reason that we don't is that many of the disruptive trends that we see in the economy, things like e-commerce, mobile banking, virtual healthcare, that remote worker that I talked about before, that's dramatically deflationary when you don't need a shop or a storefront or a bank to occupy retail space or a doctor in a doctor's office, again, in an expensive area. That all reduces um, prices. It increases efficiency. So overall, we don't see there being a lot of inflation there. The reason this question comes up is people worry about inflation because rates increase when, when there's a lot of inflation. Currently yields on the 10-year T-bond are about one and a half percent. We don't think um, yields will get too far away though because of the overall deflationary pressures that are out there. So while it's a concern that we look at and one that we consider, um, it's, it's just not something that deters us, not something that we think will, will upend disruptions. In fact, Go back in history, look at the 90s as an example. Um, in the mid 90s, we saw a couple of the worst years ever for, for in terms of interest rates increasing. And in spite of that, we saw equities do fine. So while it is something that, that people talk about, we don't think rates are in inf and inflation will be an issue that's with us uh, going forward for the next couple of years. The other part that people talk about is the rotation. 
the movement from growth to value. Uh, 2020 was one of the best years ever for pure growth names. And 2021 has been one of the best years ever for pure value names. Um, and, and that's really just an aftershock of the pandemic. We think that these rotation, rotations will, will begin to slow. We, we think that the rotation from growth to value is mostly over. And as we go into next year, we're really expecting a more normalized year. That means instead of lots and lots of companies having huge increases in revenue, like we saw this year, we have a normal world where revenue increases are more along the lines of what the growth in GDP is two, three, four, 5%. And in that world, growth companies could be in a good position because growth will become scarce again. And that's a big change. Okay, finally off to our subject of today, um, sustainability and in investing and what it means. Um, we believe that growth investing is in a better position than value investing when it comes to sustainability. What we particularly look at are the carbon intensity numbers that we get from MSCI research. Uh, they're a very reputable firm in terms of uh, giving different environmental indicators. And we look at carbon intensity because this is a real number. This isn't a perceived number. This is actually what the businesses uh, that, are, that are out there, uh, what they produce, what service they have, and the, and the carbon intensity that we have. When MSCI looks at the Russell Small Cap Growth Index versus the Russell Small Cap Value Index, they're showing that the growth index has 61% less carbon intensity than the value index. That's a lot. And, and we think it's, it's important for environmentally sensitive investors to know that. If you look at uh, what MSCI Research thinks about the Ru Russell Large Cap Growth Index, versus the Russell Large Cap Value Index, the numbers are even greater. 86% less carbon intensity for the growth index. So these are significant divergences when you look at this data in terms of what growth investing means for the environment and how it can be that way. So why is this the case? I'll give you a quick example. Um, there, the energy sector is has less exposure in the growth indices. Uh, than they do in the value indices. And if you think about energy, um, we don't look at that as a growth area. We don't think fossil fuels are the future. We don't believe they're disruptive. We think it's, a, it's a, an older technology that, that's still out there. It's still a business for, for many people, but in reality, we don't believe that's where the future is. Having less exposure to things like fossil fuels, of course, puts you in a position to have less carbon intensity. And I think that's what's behind that. So those are my thoughts for growth investing in respect to how it's going to play out towards the end of the pandemic and the other major macro issues that are there, as well as just a sustainability note at the end. I really appreciate you taking time to listen in. I'm Alex Ely. Thank you again. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. 
All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only, and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, Reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.